And today we're reading from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, and happy Father's Day out there. Um, I had my Father's Day actually a little bit early because uh, Josh and a group of our uh, students uh, went off to Hume Lake Summer Camp. Uh, we prayed for them this morning right before the service, before they got in the vans. Uh, I appreciate your prayers for them all week, for those, uh, that cast of characters uh, headed off to Hume Lake. And uh, because Josh was going to be gone, they decided to do Father's Day for me last night uh, early. I got this sweet lounge chair um, from, um, from one of the stores in town, and I am planning to take a really nice nap in it this afternoon. So uh, really looking forward to that and uh, that, that occasion. Also, I uh, just want to say, I, you know, he always, it's hum- humble, flies under the radar, but today is Jonathan's birthday. So congratulations. Happy birthday to Jonathan. As we uh, enter into this text today, as we continue in this journey of talking about what a church alive looks like through the lens of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, I, I was just drawn by the very first phrase. 
If you caught it in what Betty read, in the first verse, it says, We wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. I just paused on that in my preparation, and I thought this. God has given grace to the church. And the core truth I want to communicate today is this. Every church owes its existence and its ongoing life to the grace of God. Let me say that again. Every church owes its existence and its ongoing life to the grace of God. As Paul talked to the church at Corinth about the grace of God revealed at the church in Macedonia, I want you to know about the grace of God, some of the grace of God, which has been given to Sierra Presbyterian Church. That in the early 1960s, people moving to this area began to gather information and show interest in having a Presbyterian church in the Sierra Nevada foothills. In March of 1966, Reverend Bob Myers was called as the organizing pastor. And Sierra Presbyterian Church was officially organized as a congregation in November of 1968. Four years ago, we celebrated our 50th anniversary. The membership at the time consisted of a very small handful of folks. And by 1970, the future of the church was kind of on shaky ground. Growth had been slow and money was tight. The founding members, and um, I believe this was organized by Nancy Sanford, the founding members had a food booth at the county fair and sold raviolis to make money in order to purchase a property. They continued to do that for the next few years. The church shared space with the Seventh-day Adventist church in town and also with Nevada City Methodist during that time. This property was purchased in January of 1976, and by July of that year, they had enough money, enough money had been raised to begin the building project. So on Sunday, July 31st, 1977, after worshiping at the Nevada City Methodist Church, the congregation gathered here for lunch and a groundbreaking ceremony. Ryosa Hall, named after Ed Ryosa, was built by members of the church with their own hands. The first worship service was held in Ryosa Hall in December of 1978. I was six. Bob Myers retired in January of 1981, and after an interim period, Reverend Bruce Heupel was called as pastor in January of 1982, and Bruce served for 20 years. The church began steady growth through that time. In March of 1982, building projects, another building project began, and what we call Renner Hall was built, the education wing that has served as the home for uh, Sunshine Preschool for the last 30 years. Again, that was named after the project chairman, Keith Renner, and built by church members with their own hands. The church continued to grow. In 1985, plans began to build this sanctuary, and it was decided that the project would be built by a contractor this time. Smart move on the church's behalf. Work began in January of 1987, and on October 16, 1988, after worship in Ryosa Hall, the congregation, in true Scottish form, was led by a bagpiper over to this new sanctuary for the dedication ceremony. The church continued to grow. In 1993, they called Reverend Tom Patterson, uh, who is a friend of mine, to be the church's associate pastor for youth and young families. He served here until 2003 and accepted a call to be a senior pastor in Washington. 
With the retirement of Pastor Bruce in 2002, the search began for a new senior pastor, and Reverend Scott Dixon was called to the senior pastor position, and he served to 2010. In 2006, Reverend Linda Lyon was called, and Linda served as an associate pastor and then the interim pastor. And then in 2012, they were looking for another lead pastor, and by the grace of God, they called me. Most recently, the session of the church called Greg Flagg to be our assistant pastor. And this past week, our session moved to present to you in the near future that we might up Greg's call to be our associate pastor. And we'll talk through what that means in the near future. Through the years, other building projects have taken place. Sunshine Preschool began in 1991, continues to serve the community to this day. I share this history for these reasons. To acknowledge that God has been faithful and has been given grace to Sierra Presbyterian Church. And to also say that by the grace of God, he's not done with us. Today we're excited about the affirmation of the need to grasp the truth of God's word more tightly in the midst of the shifting culture around us. We want you to see life through the lens of scripture, not through your political ideologies first. We also engage our community for Christ We're looking forward to how we're going to engage our neighbors across the street. And as they're building, we're building plans and ideas on how to engage them for Jesus. This truth values the need to gather for worship, to get together on a regular basis in smaller groups, to love one another with the love of Jesus, and to go out into the community and beyond to reflect the good news. Does that mean it's been easy or it will be easy? No. And it wasn't easy for the church at Corinth either. But it does mean that we are here by the grace of God, individually and corporately. And by God's grace, we will continue to grow and mature as his people. What the church at Corinth experienced was that grace was found in the midst of the severest of trials. And I love what Paul talks about here. It wasn't the grace of God was found because everything was easy for that church. No, the grace of God was found in the midst of the severest trials and afflictions. The Greek word flipsis is one of my favorite words in the Greek because it's pressure that produces. Last night, Josh uh, and I, we went for a run and then we were in our, uh, like we call it man cave. It's a bunch of giants and warrior stuff. Congratulations, warriors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in there, we have a big gym set up and, and Josh was like, dad, we got to work out. And, and so we're, you know, we're working out, we're, we're lifting, you know, weights and we're, we're pulling down bars and we're doing our workout. Why do we want that pressure to produce strength, right? Pressure on a church, pressure on us personally can actually produce good things. And the amazing thing is that for the church in Macedonia, which Paul commends to the church at Corinth, out of the severest of trials, what emerged was their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, but also their welling up in generosity. Paul says that that he wanted that church at Corinth to know that for the Macedonians, when their faith was tested and when they were pressed upon by the challenges of life what happened was an overflowing joy in the midst of their poverty and that they actually demonstrated rich generosity that overflowed with overflowing joy you see their extreme poverty did not impede their generosity and their tribulation did not diminish their joy 
What can happen is when we experience times of impoverishment, that can take away our generosity and we start to hold on more tightly to what we have. And when we face difficulties, joy is often diminished. But for the church of Corinth that experienced the radical intervention of the grace of God, the reverse happened. They remained generous and they remained joyful. What they experienced was God's grace. And the Greek word here is charis, which uh, this word occurs 10 times in chapter 8 and 9 with various meanings. But what it's saying here, what Paul is saying, is that the Corinthians weren't to, to exist based on their own strength. The church at Macedonia had not given out of just out of hardship directly. They had given and responded to their circumstances by remaining joyful and generous. And guess what? Giving leads to joy. Giving of our tithes and offerings, participating in what God's doing, giving of our spiritual gifts leads to this joy. Grace should lead to generosity. Not just receiving God's grace and saying thank you and then just kind of hoarding the grace of God, but giving the grace of God through our gifts, through our serving, through our generous investment in the kingdom of God. Remember this. That at the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ and really the source of our joy is that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, we're told in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You see, we can give up our struggling and our striving to make ourselves right, to make ourselves look good or try to perfect ourselves. And we can joyfully receive the grace and mercy of God through Jesus that makes us right with him. And if we experience that grace, if we, if we find that, 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 that we're, we're gripped by that grace and, and that God is holding on to us in his grace and mercy, we, it should spill out in joy. In joy, for other pe- in joy in relationship with other people, and generosity in relationship with others. You see, Paul actually said that he had known times of plenty and times of want. Paul's life, you know, from a, a physical and material standpoint, had kind of been a roller coaster. And we know there were times, it looks at, like in the book of Acts, where Paul was kicked around. I mean, he was in prison, he was beat up one time. Paul did not have an easy life. But what happened for him was in spite of those circumstances, he knew the grace of God at each and every turn. And the grace of God was kind of the great leveler in his life. And it led him to continue to be joyful and to serve. Instead of bitterness or anger as a result of his outward circumstances and the outward circumstances that the church of Macedonia faced, the poverty welled up into rich generosity. Having heard about the great the Corinthians' generosity from Titus, who had come and visited them and come and told Paul about them, he now commends them to step forward in their generosity as a result of the, the model or the example of the church in Macedonia. It's not that Paul is saying, look at the Macedonians and compare yourself to them and you're not shaping up in relation to them. But he's basically saying, much like a a track runner would be running ahead and might be urging you on, look at how they're following Jesus. Look at how their generosity, their passion, and pursue Jesus in the same or similar ways. This challenges us, doesn't it? Because when we face difficulty, adversity, or hardship, it might be hard to remain generous and graceful. 
when we're going through difficulties, we may have a hard time reflecting grace for other people. When we feel impoverished somehow, perhaps materially or, or relationally with other people, it can be hard to be generous. My question for you is when you face difficulty or hardship, do you feel, still, feel, uh, still reflect grace for other people? In those times when times are tight or difficult, do you still seek to be generous? If we don't watch it, unfortunately, difficulties can lead us to hold back the grace of God and not express it to other people. Or our hardships or difficulties can cause us to want to hold on more tightly to what we have rather than to operate more generously. I know when I have stress in ministry, that stress can carry over into my home. (laughs) Instead of being graceful with my boys, they get anything but grace. They get this hardline dad. But when I know the grace of God available to me in each and every instance and aspect of life, I can show grace for other people. And in those times when times might feel tight or there's difficulties or hardships, we can still be generous with what we do have because everything we have is a gift from God, right? I didn't, I didn't really earn any of it. I didn't deserve this call. I didn't deserve the financial provision that I do have. Every penny I have, every penny you have, is a direct result of the grace and mercy of God. So what happened for this church? They see that the church, the church of Corinth, envisions and is presented by Paul, this model from the church of Macedonia, where grace was found in the midst of the severest of trials. But we see also that that grace grew or bore fruit in their life. For out of that grace they received, they gave. Notice that the church in Macedonia gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely of their own motivation, not by Paul you know, being legalistic or difficult or hard with them. They that gave themselves first to the Lord and then to other people in keeping with God's will. You see, Paul can witness that they gave not just according to their ability, but beyond and quite spontaneously. Do you give beyond what you perceive to be your ability. It's amazing that tithing is actually a baseline, not a, not a finish line. Giving of 10% isn't meant to be like, oh, I finally reached the goal. Giving 10% is actually meant to be kind of the baseline of giving. We're meant to give offerings beyond our tithes. Giving offerings to missions. Getting kids to camp. And once again, church, way to go. By itself, our deacons gave uh, somewhere around $500. Every camper that just went, got on the, the bus had a note card from our deacons and $25 of spending money. That's one more pazuki when you're at camp. An ice, an ice cream filled brownie. I mean, come on. We're meant to overflow with that generosity, give beyond our ability to extend the grace of God we've received through outreached hands entirely of our own motivation. That is an amazing thing. Often, we give, sadly, reluctantly or out of compulsion, out of the sense of it being a have to. But the amazing thing about this church in Macedonia was it was we get to. In fact, there are indications that in their poverty, Paul hadn't even asked them to participate in this offering that would go to the mother church in Jerusalem. He basically was holding back from asking them to participate in that offering because he knew how hard things were for them. But they, 
asked for the privilege of giving and participating in that offering. In other words, they, they knew that they did not deserve the grace of God that they had experienced as a church. And so then they asked for the privilege of participating in this offering. And when it says the privilege of sharing that what they had with the, the wider church, the Greek word there is actually koinonia. They found fellowship in their giving. When you give, when I give, we participate in something much bigger or grander than is uh, you know, limited to ourselves. We're getting to participate in this great uh, campaign of sabotage on God's behalf in the midst of what is what Lewis, C.S. Lewis called enemy-occupied territory. You and I are on mission together when we give of our tithes and our offerings. We are in it together when we invest in the kingdom of God through this church. And we are in it together when we use our gifts and our skills. I loved watching uh, one of our newer friends in the life of the church named Candace. Uh, she's going as one of the youth volunteers on camp with our middle schoolers. Let me say that again. She's going with our middle schoolers. And I love the look on her face. She asks, Bo, okay, where am I going to be seated? She, Bo says, oh yeah, you're going to be in the van. And I saw this smile on her face, knowing that she is on a journey for five and a half hours down to Hume Lake with 10 middle schoolers and high schoolers in that van. Would you want to be there right now? Or would you rather be here? I'm going to guess you might rather be here. We each have our gifts. Serving junior high and middle schoolers, that is a gift. But we each have those places and spaces that we know God has called us to serve in. And we should be serving out of our own motivation. And who should we be serving? The Lord first, and then other people. Friends, this is the key to our reception of God's grace and our expression of God's grace. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to others in keeping with God's will. Let me remind you that each and every one of us, as a result of the grace of God, and as a result of the ways we're meant to extend that grace, are to live our lives for an audience of one. Just Him. Serve Jesus. And that serving of Jesus has outward expression in serving God's people. Okay? That's the way we serve. But the important thing is we're doing it to honor and please Him. Remember, the chief end of men and women is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we're told in the Westminster Catechism. We enjoy Him, we serve Him, we honor Him, and that overflows in using our gifts to bless other people. But it's all ultimately only for Him. That's who we're honoring, right? That's who we're seeking to serve. If we try to please everyone, we're going to fall short and we're going to be disappointed and we're going to get worn out. But when we serve Him... We can do that, and when we try to please him, it does, in fact, please him. In response to the grace of God, we are to give. Give of ourselves, living our lives for an audience of one. The Lord Jesus, and giving ourselves to him, and giving ourselves to other people on his behalf, calls us to this life of self-giving, where the grace of God, the charis we have experienced, begins to shape and mold our lives in such a way that we want to give of the gifts that we've been given. One of the key words in the New Testament really is charis, which is grace, I already told you. But then the, the word for gifts, spiritual gifts, is charismata. In other words, the spiritual gifts we have are grace gifts. You didn't earn or deserve the gift of giving. 
You didn't earn or deserve the gifts of compassion. We didn't earn or deserve the gifts of care, mercy, compassion that are in abundance in the life of this church. God gives each of those gifts as an act of grace. Those grace gifts we receive are then meant to be used to bless other people, not to be held on to too tightly. And where members of the church discern their gifts of grace that they have received from God, and when they use those gifts of grace, the church then becomes emboldened and becomes you know, literally on fire, as we talked about through the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And we use our gifts, and the church is built up and nourished and encouraged. But we do that all as an act of service to Jesus. You see, the same Greek word for service and giving in this way is the same Greek word that's actually found in Mark 10.45, where it says the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the vehicle of God's grace in his coming, embodies that grace in the way he serves. And when we recognize that the depths of our being, the grace that we have been given from God, then we're empowered to serve out of that grace and in the gifts we've been given to bless other people. Paul's design for the church in this way was reflected in Ephesians 4, 7 through 13. There Paul said, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took captives in his train and he gave gifts to people. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers to equip God's people until we, all, until we are built up and we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature in Christ, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God gives us gifts of grace, and we use those gifts to bless and build up other people. That could be gifts used to, to nourish and encourage our children There's a great invitation to be able to serve at Adventure Week coming up in mid-July. And that doesn't mean you have to be, you know, one that has a direct contact with kids necessarily, though we need that too. And it's awfully a lot of fun. We need people in the kitchen. We need people to check people in. There is a way for everyone in the church to serve on Adventure Week. And it really is an all-hands-on-deck kind of service experience as we witness to our community. We use our gifts, spiritual gifts, to build up the body so that we grow into maturity. Because if we don't use our spiritual gifts that we've been given by God's grace, we will not mature. Because the more we stretch out and use the gifts that God has given us, the more we grow in our sense of dependency and knowledge of the grace that we need. Last night before bed, I was on my knees again. And once again proclaiming, Lord God, if you don't show up tomorrow morning in the midst of this sermon, this is not going to work. And that's the humility and dependency on God that we should bring to every task we undertake in his name. But when we do, when we depend on the grace of God, what we're told in the passage is that we can excel in everything, including grace. Paul says we can excel in faith and in speech and knowledge and in complete earnestness, and in your love for others, and see too that you should excel in the grace of giving. 
That excelling isn't this striving and straining to try to earn God's favor. It's excelling in those qualities because God has excelled in grace towards us and we want to give back and invest in his kingdom. And what Paul is saying, like he says in 1 Corinthians 13, is if we don't use those gifts in love, if we don't give of ourselves in in love for others out of our love for Jesus, like we talk about in our vision statement, all that will be for naught. I was doing premarital counseling on Friday. The couple said, yeah, you know, we want you to read 1 Corinthians 13 at our, our wedding day. And I said, why? Well, you know, it's the passage that everybody reads. Da, 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 da. No. <laughs> why? Because if we don't have love, God's love in us, we're not going to be able to reflect that love. After 28 years of marriage, if there's one thing I've found out, If I'm just trying to love my wife out of my own humanness and out of my own fleshly ability, I will fall short consistently. But if I get on my knees and say, God, give me love for my wife, give me love for my kids, I am utterly and completely dependent on you. I watch him infuse me with his love and enable me and others to love beyond your ability. I want to pause at this point. Sermon's wrapping up, and I want to speak specifically to dads for a few moments. Because it is Father's Day. And I want to say to you who are dads at every stage in your journey of being a dad, this. You don't need to act like you have it all together. You don't need to act like you have all the answers at every turn in your parenting journey. In fact, you don't. You sin and fall short of the glory of God just like the rest of us. What we do need you as dads to know is how utterly dependent you are on the grace of God and to admit that you fall short when you do, because I do, and to allow God to fill you and use you in the midst of your brokenness once again. And allow that to touch your speech. Because our kids at any age and stage don't need to be torn down more in the midst of all that they're facing as a result of COVID and everything they've been through the last couple years. They need to be built up and encouraged in the knowledge of God. And they need to hear words of grace. And boy, do they need to hear words of truth because they're hearing everything else but God's truth out in society right now. And my hope and prayer is Josh is on one of those weeks where he's gonna be nourished and encouraged in the truth of God, of how graceful God is and how much he loves Josh and loves each and every one of those kids. But don't just depend on a week away at camp. Tell him yourself. And if you as a father haven't communicated that grace and love to your children, don't just wait till they express their love to you today. Actually take the proactive stance and reflect that love and care for them. They need to know it. And they need to know that you're earnest, that you're passionate about loving Jesus and being the best dad you can be. And they need to know that you love them right where they are. And they need to know that you're willing to give to them. Because that inspires them to give and be gracious to other people. Whenever I'm at a meal with my family, and you know what? I mean, I went out to dinner with my family. My family of four, it takes $15 more every time I go out to dinner with them now to cover the cost of that meal because of inflation. But what I tell my kids is this. We're going out to dinner and dad's providing this meal for you. But I know and trust that you will do that one day for your kids. And what I can say about Beth's dad, Dick, who passed away several years ago, is he was one of the most gracious dads I've ever experienced. He never allowed me to pay for a meal. But he did communicate 
that that investment that he was making in Beth and I and in my family was intended to be passed on one day to my kids and to their kids. That investment was a trust that I hold that then is meant to be entrusted to the next generation. Dads, we need you in an incredible way right now to stand up and to be men who are brave and courageous and to go on loving like Jesus even when it hurts and even when it's hard, to be generous beyond your ability. The good news in wrapping up, though, is it's not ultimately dependent on you. It's ultimately dependent on the grace of Jesus. Paul doesn't just leave it to the church in Macedonia to be the example. He says, he talks about the model of the grace of Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that in his poverty you might become rich. What Paul's talking about is the riches that Jesus had in heaven with the Father. I mean, he had a really good gig. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven, on their own. No sin, nothing you know, harming people, nothing going on that was negative. But, but as a result of our sin, uh, Jesus t- chose to enter into this earth. And his impoverishment was his taking on flesh and the limitations of human fleshly existence. He who was rich in heaven... And the, and the nature of God became poor, also taking on the nature of humanity so that you and I could become rich. Not physically, not materially, but spiritually in fellowship with one another and knowing that one day we will experience all eternity with Jesus. And if God has lavished grace on us like that, if he has given it his best gift to you he gave us his one and only son if jesus gave us the gift of his presence and taking on flesh how can we not give how can we not be generous and how can we not be grace-filled in similar ways let me tell you about the grace of god that i see at sierra presbyterian church in a few moments, we get to welcome six new family members into our church who have decided to be covenant partners with us as a church and link arms with us in fellowship as fellow church members. Let me tell you about the grace of God I see at Sierra Presbyterian Church. Our giving this year, every month, has been up from the same month last year. Our, grow, our giving is growing. And for the third time this year, someone has chosen to give generously either of their inheritance or or an inheritance that they have received we have been blessed beyond measure by people who have given beyond their ability and giving of the inheritance that they received or they decided to leave the church in their will and we have these amazing gifts that now we're called to be good stewards of let me tell you about the grace of god that i see at sierra presbyterian church we see the need to grow in our ability to share god's grace by learning how to witness to others through the three circles example of God's design, our brokenness, and Christ's redemption. And we also see the need to develop our ability to share our spiritual story with Jesus. And so on Wednesday, June 29th, Beth and I will be facilitating a leadership training night. We're Presbyterians. We're going to have a potluck. But then we're going to help you develop your ability to share your story with Jesus. And to share God moments that you've experienced with Jesus so that you can tell other people of the good news of Jesus. That though he was rich in heaven, he became poor for us so that we might become rich in him. In the life that he wants to give and he alone can ultimately give. So my friends, is a church alive? 
Let us seek to excel in the grace that God has given us. Let us enjoy that grace. But also, I want you to ask what is yourself, what does excelling in grace look like for you personally? How can that become manifest in, 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 in practical ways so that you won't go on growing in the grace of God and growing in your ability to give that grace away? Amen? <laughs>